Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. As we continue our Lenten teaching series, Beautiful Attitudes, we are joined this week by the Reverend Dr. John Guest, who will be preaching on Blessed are the Merciful. But first, we have two quick program notes. Number one, Easter and Holy Week are fast approaching. In order to get all of the information that you need for our services during Holy Week, I encourage you to check out our website, ccgf.org slash Easter. And for the second note, we experienced severe technical difficulties with our audio system during this service. Therefore, the recording of Pastor John's message is not quite where we'd like it to be. We apologize for the quality of this audio recording. Now, here is Pastor John with this week's Lenten message. Thank you for listening. He's moving on from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's on his way, and nobody else realized it that that would be the last time through Jericho and the last time making this journey into Jerusalem. Because it was there he was betrayed, executed, laid to rest in a tomb, and uh, then resurrected. So it's really the last time he's passing that way. And there's this man by the roadside who is blind. One particular gospel names him Blind Bartimaeus. Listen to these words. As Jesus came by Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, hear these words, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Obvious answer, Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Now, what the man was crying out for was mercy. What he wanted was to be healed. And Jesus was passing by and healed him. Perfect illustration of what the mercy is that's described as an act of mercy, an act of kindness. So whether you're helping somebody on the road who's in trouble, you know, there are any number of ways in which you can be there for somebody and it be an act of mercy, not of obligation, not because you're supposed to, by any other standard than God's standard, to care about your neighbor. There is even a way of looking at the Good Samaritan, though it doesn't speak about mercy, but that was an act of mercy in the story that Jesus told. 
But it was the Samaritan, not the religious chaps who passed by earlier on, but the Samaritan who took care of the beat-up guy on the roadside. So that's one meaning of to be merciful, to be ready to act mercifully, to have that disposition and awareness and willingness to be there for somebody else, to love your neighbor as yourself. But much more to the point, in this expression of mercy, what we have is forgiveness being asked for or being given, being experienced. Jesus did tell a story about a man who owed so much money. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 18 that it was impossible for him to pay it back. Just impossible. And he was going to have this chap thrown into debtor's prison. And he begged that the man give him time to pay the debt. And it was quite clear, we're talking about in the millions, that this debt was not going to get paid in those days. And the fellow forgave the debtor all that he owed. That debtor went out and wrung somebody else's neck trying to get a few shekels out of him. And when the master heard about this, he was very, very distressed. But his statement was this come the end of the story because he called in the first man and said should you not have forgiven your friend like I forgave you listen to these words then the master called the servant in and said to him you wicked servant I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me shouldn't you have had is the word mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you. And what that man was doing was expressing in forgiving the debt mercy. So when we come to this business of forgiving, forgiving a debt and being merciful you get into these words, justice, mercy, and grace. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Got it? 
Justice is getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace, which comprehends it all, is actually more so than those because you end up getting what you don't deserve. So with forgiveness of the debt, you've got an expression of mercy. And with forgiveness, which is where I want to spend a good slice of our time, you've got three basic concepts expressed in three different words in the New Testament. The first word is charismai. And in that you can hear the word charisma or charis, which means a gift. What was being expressed by the man who forgave the debt? Listen carefully, was this. He forwent. He, he, forwent. he gave up on ever having that money. In not getting back what he should have gotten, he was the loser. He released the debt, or the debtor, from any obligation to pay the debt. In effect, he made a gift. That's the, that's the meaning of the word, because the word charismai translate, is translated forgiveness. When he forgave the debt... He, the one who was owed the money, was the loser. In effect, he gave to the debtor the value of the indebtedness. So if you owe $30,000 and somebody forgives you that debt, they've in effect made a gift to you of $30,000. That's charisma. The only way you're ever going to be willing when somebody has hurt you, robbed you, been unkind to you, you feel maybe has mortally wounded you. If you're going to forgive, one concept means you just suck it up and say, I lost I'm not going to, in any sense, try and get back at the person who's wounded me. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to get even. You absorb the debt. Where on earth can you find the grace the disposition, the willingness to do that. Only the Lord can give that to you. Because what I'm saying, some of you are saying, no way, Jose. I'm not going to forgive. I am going to hang on to that and hold on to that and I'm going to hold it against them. 
And I'm going to find one way or another to make them pay for what they've done to me. Whether it's a career hardship, a marriage that's failed, kids who are completely ungrateful, or children who've been really abused or wounded by a parent or both parents. I mean, you could go through a litany of things that really distress you and have hurt you and you hold in your craw. So charismai, to forgive, literally means to just lose. Any opportunity of retribution and getting back at somebody, you forgive them. You charismai. The second word is aphiemi. That's the word right here in the Sermon on the Mount that's used for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That literally means to release. I've been hinting at that just in the way I've talked about charisma. There's a similar thought here. To let it go. I've run into people who have been so hurt, one way or another, whether they're managing to get by and facilitating a relationship, even in marriage, but deep down there is that nut of anguish that has never been dealt with, never been released, and they just hang on to it. And what happens is, it's as if their personality begins to revolve around the center of that painful experience. I don't know if you've ever been betrayed. There are a lot of ways you can understand betrayal. I have been betrayed. And it's easy to hang on to the pain and the hurt and never to let it go. We had some folks in a number of years ago when our daughter, who's now in her early 30s, was just a little girl of four. And a unique thing happened. I've never seen it around and about Western Pennsylvania myself. It was quite a popular kind of hobby in England back in the day. But these men arrived to do our floor. We had moved all the furniture out onto the lawn. It was summer. And uh, so they came early in the morning to do the floor. First to sand it and then do whatever else they're going to do. But one of them came with a basket that's about yay wide, about this deep, and uh, something like about this height. And I knew what was in that basket. He brought it out onto our lawn like this. 
but I knew what was in it. Pigeons. And I knew what he was going to do. Lift the lid. And let him go. So I said, hold on. I went rushing in, got our daughter Sarah up, and said, you've got to come and see this. Because Sarah, the animal lover, would be fascinated with a basket full of pigeons that had just let go. And so she came out, and the guy lifted the lid, and something like about a dozen pigeons all flew out, and they sort of circled around a bit up there, and then wham, off they, off they went, speeding away. And I took that illustration on one occasion, I remember exactly where I was, I was speaking in the Hilton Head Island. And a friend of mine was coming up to hear me speak, but the day he was coming up from Charleston, South Carolina, to Hilton Head Island, another guy had come into his office threatening to commit suicide. And so my friend said, hey, you come with me this evening. He brought him up to Hilton Head Island where I was speaking, and I talked about forgiveness and used that illustration Flying away, all those issues like pigeons, released, let go. That guy, who happened to be Jewish, asked Jesus into his life that night. That was the driving force of that meeting. They get to know Jesus. This Jewish man yielded his life over to Christ. And driving home with my friend said, I let a lot of pigeons go tonight. I don't know what kind of pigeons you got flying around in that basket of yours. But lift the lid and let them go. There's a third word, and it's in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, which speaks about God passing over our sins. But the word that's uh, used there is peresis, Little, literally means sort of to pass over, to pass by, to let pass, to keep moving on. And contained in that thought is, do you know people who watch you? Have you ever been in the experience of somebody waiting to pounce on you for doing something wrong? It's like walking on eggshells to be around them. No matter what you say or how you say it, it's wrong. No matter what you do, they'll find something to criticize. You got anybody in your life like that? Are you that person? When people come around you, are they sort of wondering when you're going to snap at them or pick up on something they've said or done and nail them, give them a dig? 
thought you were raising your hand there for a moment, Louisa. <laughs> she was just fluffing up her hair. <laughs> It's a miserable way to live. Let it pass. Again, in another sense, let it go. Don't be ready to jump and pounce. It's another way to live. All these expressions of forgiveness are a huge slice of having a disposition called mercy. To be merciful. And when we're not willing, when we're not willing in any sense to be merciful, to be forgiving, to hang on to it, determined never to let it go, what happens, and the Bible describes it as I'm about to read it, we cultivate and nourish a root of bitterness. Listen to these words from Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that he makes this available to us. He's willing to work in us. That no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In other words, you create a cankerous atmosphere around you. When you have that root of bitterness in your life, and you may not know it altogether, but it changes who you are and who, what your personality is. A root of bitterness. There are so many occasions along my life, from childhood on the way up, where I've been so hurt... I couldn't wait to, to get back at someone. And what I'm cultivating on the inside is such a, an antagonistic attitude toward that person that I'm ready to nail them. I mean, I could give you illustration after illustration. To be so hurt, so, so hurt, that all you want to do is get back at that person. I was ordained. I've been ordained a long time. I mean, I've been married 50 years, and I was ordained about a half a dozen years before that. And back when I was a youth minister, there was a kid in our youth group by the name of Norman Jakes. The English will mispronounce French any way they can, any opportunity they can get. His name should have been Jacques. J-A-Q-U-E-S. Norman Jakes. And we had a five-a-side soccer court in this youth group that I ran. And it had a wall along one side. And given that it was in like the crypt of a church, it had steel poles in the middle of the soccer court. 
holding up the roof of that subterranean soccer area. And Jake's, whenever I got the ball, and I was a good soccer player, he would hammer me. You know, the rules cease to count. If I were out running along the wall with the ball, he'd love to nail me against the wall. If I happened to be going by the, one of those steel poles, he would nail me against that pole. Well, I was six foot four and a couple of hundred pounds or so. When Jake's got the ball, I got him. <laughs> and I was bigger than he was. Jake's began to dominate my life. <laughs> Really. And especially those evenings on the soccer court. It was all about Jake's. It was no longer about soccer. And I'm the minister. <laughs> I'm trying to win him to Christ. <laughs> and the Lord got to me. So I remember... When I, you know, it's obvious to me what was going on. We didn't have a love-hate relationship. We had a hate-hate relationship <laughs> exhibited on the soccer court. One day, I was so convicted that I started praying, Lord, you've got to help me. I can remember my little bachelor apartment kneeling down by my single bed and saying to the Lord, I'm not getting up until you have changed my heart toward Norman Jakes. In other words, I wanted that root of bitterness torn out of my life and to be set free so that I could love Jakes, Jakesy. <laughs> And at least not hate him. And maybe even win him to Jesus. None of that was in the cards unless I changed who I was and how I was coming at him. Plus it was ruining that whole business about the atmosphere. It was changing who I was. I think it was Aristotle who said that bitterness is the one poison you drink hoping that someone else will die. <laughs> That's what happens. We, our lives are poisoned. And I don't know how long I was on my knees. It could have been hours. Time went away. This is the sort of thing I was praying, which I was choking on from time to time, like this. <laughs> Lord, you love Jake's as much as you love me. He kept coming back to that thought. You want Jake's in heaven as much as you want me in heaven.
You care about Norman Jakes and what he's doing with his life and where it's headed as much as you care about my life. And I took everything that I thought was good and is good. I mean, I was just amassing all the things that God has given me in bringing me to Jesus. You died on the cross for Norman Jakes like you died for me. When you walked out of the grave alive and you came into my life, you want to go into Norman Jakes' life. You, you rose again for him. Help me to see him that way. Give me your heart for Norman Jakes. Change the way I think about him, feel about him, the way I look at him, all my anticipations of what's going to happen when I get to him. You've got to change me. I've got to let the, you've got to deal with this, Lord. Help me now. As I say, it could have been three hours, four hours. It, was, it became a timeless conversation with Jesus. But I tell you, when I got up off my knees, God had worked a miracle in my gut, in my soul, in my spirit. Really, Jake's was no longer the issue. Except that God had changed my heart toward him. And I'll tell you what, another miracle happened. I think we still play pretty strong soccer. But there was no viciousness in me now. And I'm looking at Norman Jakes through different eyes. And I didn't get all soupy and soppy around him. Because he was a tough guy and I wanted to win him to the Lord. And amazingly, Jake started acting differently toward me. The real issue for me was me, not him. What God did in setting me free, releasing me, to let it go, to absorb all the crap this kid had thrown at me. Not to be waiting in anticipation for the hard knock that I could take him out myself next time around. That's just one illustration. It goes on and on. And I have to stop and do the same sort of thing when I've been so deeply hurt and rejected and dissed. <laughs> because I want what God wants to give me. Because here's the deal. When you are into the scripture, you keep coming across the idea, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Should you not have forgiven him his debt the way I forgave you? Whatever you sow, you reap. If you're reaping hate, 
that's what you're going to, if you're sowing hate, excuse me, that's what you're going to reap. So when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, what's the next little phrase? For they shall receive mercy. And I have no doubt that wrapped up in that thought, it's not just mercy from other people who reciprocate to you the way you act toward them, but inherent in what the Lord is offering us is the opportunity to get all that rubbish out of us and then to be able to be freely generous with loving kindness and a whole new disposition to those who brutally wounded us. And he calls that blessed. Blessedness is not just happiness. Modern translations, because they don't know how to get at it, but they want to give something more than a religious word like blessed, give you the word happy. Happiness comes from the notion that it's haphazard. Same root. Haphazard. Happenstance. Accidental. Dependent on circumstances. When our happiness, happiness is a part of blessedness, no question. But when you just reduce it to happiness, given the word itself, so often we're controlled by the circumstances of our lives as to whether we're happy or not. But when we are blessed, that is a deep spiritual experience. Do you know why they call this passage in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Because in the Latin of the original Roman Catholic Bible, the word for blessed is beati. Beati. So they are beatitudes. But it's the same root from what we describe when we are in the presence of God and overwhelmed with love for him. The beatific vision. Have you ever heard that phrase? A beatific vision. It's from beati. Beatitudes. But a beatific vision is the vision of God himself. And one day we will see him And we will be absolutely overwhelmed. And there will be such a joy and a deep welling up of praise and adoration. And some of us have experienced just a taste of that here on earth. That was my experience in first coming to Christ. It was beyond joy. It was beyond just happiness. 
there was a deep sense of God in my life, flowing through my life, and expressing himself in me, and my discovering who God wanted me to be, and giving me an experience of himself that was saying to me, this is life. And that blessing, that beati, is something more than just happiness. And it's deep-rooted, deep-centered, and a disposition that is something more than just what circumstances provide for us. Because it's the Lord himself doing in us an amazing work. So when it says, blessed are the merciful, who wants the beati? Who wants that experience of God? Be merciful. That's what these scriptures are saying. That's pretty attractive to me. A whole new way of looking at relationships and things that have happened to us and instead of their becoming the root of bitterness, they become an expression of betterness as God changes us. Well, one thing I can probably say and not be contradicted, either you need to experience forgiveness like that, that kind of mercy, or you need to extend it to someone else. You're either in need of it or the need to express it. You want the blessing. You may not be able to settle it all tonight, but at some point you've got to get it done. I want to close with this one illustration just to encourage you to get at it. I was just down in Alabama preaching at the cathedral in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, I'm aware that down in Alabama was a very famous football coach of the Crimson Tide. Mm -hmm. His name's gone right out of my head. Bear Bryant, thank you. See you all. Bear Bryant. And AT&T had rounded him up to do a TV ad for Mother's Day to get you to call your mother. I mean, make a telephone call, call your mother. And basically all Bear Bryant had to say was, you call your mother, you hear? I mean, really southern. Y'all call your mother, you hear? But he was really wooden. I mean, I'm hopeless in front of a camera. When I know the camera's on me, I just go wooden. So I'm hopeless. I, I, I sit and watch newscasters on the TV with awe and wonder that they're so natural and smile and carry on. And I just, well, like my face gets nearly paralyzed. Well, that was Bear Bryant. And they kept running the, sh- running the tape, taking the picture, his saying it, and it just wouldn't get right. And he got so frustrated, he said, you call your 
another, you hear? I wish I could call mine. That one took. Went on the air. That one. As that hit the airwaves, so the advertising agency that had the AT&T account gets a telephone call. Who did that ad? Goes to the desk of the guy who had the account. Did you do that ad? Well, the guy was ready to get ripped up. He said, yes, I did. Well, I want to thank you, said the voice the other end. I called my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great, said the the account, the guy with the account. You know, he said, thank you. He said, I said, the man the other end, you don't understand. I hadn't spoken to my mother for eight years. And she died three days ago. Thank you. You've got some work to do. If God's convicting you of that, get it done. Whoever it is, you've got to call. Whoever it is, you've got to say, I'm sorry. (coughs) Whatever it is, you'll call your mother, you hear? Let's pray. The Lord Jesus, how we thank you for your forgiveness. How we thank you. We're overwhelmed. Forgive us, Lord, for how hard-hearted we have become concerning other people in our lives. We will not forgive them. It's almost like we love to have this problem. So each of us says, Lord, have mercy on us. I mean, Lord, have mercy. How lightly we often say that, but we need your mercy to work in our lives that we might be merciful. So whoever it is in our crawl, whatever it is we refuse to let go of, whoever it is we love to hate, whatever the circumstance that you know we are dealing with, Lord Jesus, put that right, we pray. Give us the grace to spend the kind of time with you to sort out what's going on in our hearts. We would love it to be true of each of us that we are blessed because you have not only been merciful to us, but you have helped us to be merciful as well. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.